Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Jerry Wills Show. We have a very special guest for you this evening. His name is Mark Ireland. Sorry. It's been one of those days. Kathy's mom's in the hospital. Um, you know, the, the interesting thing to me, because I don't know much about Mark, <clears throat> the, the really interesting thing to me is his father. Uh, I met his father. He was instrumental in um, a shift in my awareness. And I'm really excited to speak with Mark um, this evening because, you know, he, he was right there with his dad. He knows about his dad, and he's had his own experiences, and he is his own person. <clears throat> and I'm really excited to find out more. I've been looking forward to this, actually, for, uh, <laughs> well, a couple of weeks since we asked him to come on. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to bring him on, have him tell you about himself, and let's just get the conversation rolling. <laughs> Hello, Mark. How are you? Hey, Jerry. I'm doing great. Um, it is. Have it's, a better day tomorrow. Yeah, thank you. It, um, it, it's really a privilege to have you on. I am really thank excited you. to hear what you have to say, uh, any stories you have. But I want to find out about the books that you've written as well. Uh, and honestly, there's just <clears throat> really a wealth of information to talk about. Um, I suppose, you know, the, the place where it would be good to begin was just let us know a little bit about you, who you are, what do you do? Sure. Um, well, I can kind of back up to my childhood because that kind of springboarded me into where I am now. Sure. But uh, I grew up with a very unusual father who you got to witness. Um, his name was Dr. Richard Ireland. He was a psychic. He was very prominent. Um, he had been tested in a number of labs. Um, he counseled celebrities like Mae West, who I got to meet when I was 19 years old. Oh, cool. Um, David Jansen, uh, Glenn Ford, and I even have a card from Mamie Eisenhower sent to him in 1956 congratulating him for marrying my mom. So, but I grew up with as a man who had, you know, this phenomenal ability to know things beyond what your five senses will tell you. And we, you know, there's a lot of skeptics out there, but we grew up with it. It was a daily occurrence in our household, so it just becomes kind of a matter-of-fact thing to you. So what other kids might have thought was strange or unique or intriguing was just our dad and just how our household worked. Um, growing up, though, I wasn't my dad. I was my own person. And as I became an adult, you know, I went to college, got a degree, got married at a young age, and we started having kids when I was, my first son was born when I was 25, second when I was 27. So took on a lot of responsibility early. It was very, you know, my dad and I were different in that he was very, um, I guess I'd say um, a, a bit of a dreamer in a way, personality wise. And I was very practical, you know, and grounded. And uh, so, you know, I tried to make it the traditional way. Uh, got the degree, went into the business world, did well, and all that kind of stuff. But in uh, 2004, my youngest son, who was then 18, Brandon, passed unexpectedly while hiking in the McDowell Mountains in Scottsdale. 
And that catapulted me back into my dad's world, you know, and by then my dad had passed. But uh, I started getting more engaged in talking to and researching, you know, the whole field of psychic phenomena and mediumship in particular, that part of it. Um, for because I'd seen a lot of things growing up that gave me confidence, not just in psychic abilities, but there's a spiritual realm beyond just the physical realm, and that indeed we're souls that are here for experience, but we're only in these bodies for a while, and then we, we go back home. So um, I went on my own exploration. That's what my first book really gets into, is you know, how I was catapulted back to that. I start with a little bit about my dad's background and his upbringing and all the things he put up with growing up with those abilities as a kid in rural Ohio, which must have been pretty challenging in the 1940s yeah, and no 50s, um, to, you know, where I was. So today um, I've authored a couple of books. I've published a third one, which was actually my dad's book that never was released during his physical lifetime. Um, and I, about 10 years ago, I co-founded, I guess it was a little more than that, maybe co-founded an organization called Helping Parents Heal for Bereaved Parents. And we now have over 25,000 members worldwide. Um, we have just had a conference. It was our second ever conference. We held it in the Phoenix area, drew 900 people who came from around the world for this. And it, wow. um, the folks at the hotel, the hotel staff was concerned, like, oh, this is going to be dreary and you know, down, down depressing thing. And after it was over, they couldn't believe how uplifting it was because the folks here had a super high energy and um, came together. And it's really because our organization is really a run of hope. So I still work in the business world. I'm writing books. I'm engaged with this Helping Parents Heal organization. Uh, I do music too. I play guitar, write songs, and just released an album of some original music, one of which is a real spiritual tune and another is a philosophical tune. So I'm kind of a jack of all trades. That's very interesting. <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be somebody out there who's going to say, hey, Mark, uh, when you were in a teenager, uh, how did you ever get away with anything? Well, you typically didn't. Now, part of this is my parents actually divorced when I was like 11 years old, but I had a brother 10 years older um, who had to endure my dad's wrath during those key years of teenage life. And so, you know, one example, I actually have this in my first book, was my brother, um, he he would go hot rodding. He had built up this uh, 56 Dodge and he'd go hot rodding and drag racing on the streets. And my dad busted him for that. And then another time he had somebody buying him beer when he was underage. So he got busted for that. Um, another story I tell is my mother and he were first married. She um, had been working on being a vegetarian for a couple of months and had been doing a good job and not had any meat. Um, and then one day she just couldn't take it anymore. And she went out and got herself a hamburger. And uh, that evening when dad got home, the first words out of his mouth were, so surely did you enjoy your hamburger today? And that was kind of like what it was like living with my dad. Now, he contended that he would let us get away with stuff so we'd have a normal life. And I suppose he did to some degree. He didn't micromanage every little thing, but he got engaged in a lot of stuff and shut things off that he thought were going to be problematic. Wow. Well, you know, I, I ask that because... 
how in hell, and I've told people this story before, we were just talking about it, folks offline, um, when his father told me I had a $5 bill in my wallet, I was really broke, and <clears throat> there's no way I have a $5 bill in my wallet. Oh, yeah, there was, and he very, um, <laughs> very comically pointed that out to me. So, I mean, gee whiz, I mean, how you couldn't skip school. You, the things you, you know, get busted for, <laughs> nothing would get past. Well, and he even told you where to find the bill, right? <laughs> That's right. For you who don't know this story, I just briefly tell you, I, I <clears throat> first time I ever saw Dr. Richard Ireland and I had a wallet. I rode a motorcycle and I had this wallet in my back. What was it? Right pocket. Been in a really bad rainstorm on the bike coming from Tucson to Phoenix. I was a soaked rat. And of course, you know, the paper and the stuff in the wallet, it was soaked. So it just all kind of got smushed together and it dried that way. Well, I only had a couple of bucks and I wanted to have a Coke. So I bought a Coke at this presentation. Uh, Dr. Ireland called for volunteers. I held my hand up. I got called to the stage. And he says, if I can read the serial numbers off that $5 bill in your pocket, can I have it? And I'm thinking, ha, 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 I got gotcha. you. And so he proceeds to tell me it's in my wallet. Because I only had a few, like a quarter, maybe two quarters of my, my jeans. So I opened it up. He tells me, look behind the license. Well, all this stuff is mushed together. So I peel it out of there, start peeling things apart. And by God, there's a $5 bill in there. And he says, if I read the serial numbers off of that $5 bill, can I have it? And I'm just in a state of shock. And I said, yeah. He says, forward or backward? Well, what you have to understand, folks, he had put gauze over his eyes and X's or something over that with tape, then put something else tape over both eyes back to here, back to his temples. And then once all that was done, he put on a blindfold. There's no way in the world he could see. And yet he read the numbers off of that $5 bill. And then he said, would you like me to read them to you backwards? Uh, sure. <laughs> what are you going to say to that? <laughs> he read it backwards. <laughs> so, um, I, I, you, you have no idea what that feels like. I was absolutely staggered. And I just, he said, just leave it on the stage. So I left it on the stage and walked off. It's hard to get your mind around something like that. So when I was asking Mark about how did you get away with anything as a kid, if this fella could do what he just did, and he did, then, oh my gosh, there are no secrets with someone like that around. And it would be, I would think, a bit intimidating. But Good thing my mom never cheated on him, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that brings to mind, did you ever see <clears throat> that movie uh, with Cindy Lauper and Jeff Goldblum? Uh, what was it called? Psychic or something like that, where they got together as a team to go and look for stuff. And Jeff Goldblum was very funny, uh, as he usually is. And he touched something 
and he was he was doing psychometry. He touched something, and he he's like, "Ooh," and let go of it because <clears throat> what he found in his pants pocket was his wife's underwear and his wife's underwear. And then he picked up his wife, and she was having an affair. Oh, <laughs> so he, I, I don't remember the name of the uh, movie. My God, that was a funny one though. I didn't see it. I'll have to look that up and then see what it was. But he actually used 10 strips of Johnson Johnson medical tape, yeah. which if you haven't ever touched that is extremely sticky and it would be adhered tight against his eyes. Um, and when he pull it off, it, it removed his eyebrows too. I know. Um, and then he had three black blindfolds, one this way, one this way, and one this way, and then more tape that would go down and cover his cheeks under the blindfold. That's right. So no one could allege that he could see down. But if anyone wanted to see that, I actually, this is a blessing to have, but I have a, uh, a recording of him on YouTube on the Steve Allen show in 1971 doing this. So That's anyone right. who would like to see what this was like can go to my website. There's a link to it on that page. Um, or they can even just Google Dr. Richard Ireland, Steve Allen show. But for my website, I'm sure you'll post it, but it's just markirelandauthor.com. Okay. And you'll find them there to that video at the bottom of the homepage. Perfect. Yeah, I've seen that. I showed it to Kathy. It's one thing to hear the story, but to actually see it is just mind-blowing. It really is. Yeah, and a skeptic would have a hard time explaining away that, you know, the whole sequence of events, even on that. Normally, like what you saw, there might be 50 to 100 people in a room, and he'd give messages to probably 70% of them. So there's no way you could have plants. I mean, <laughs> who's going to have 70 plants in a room of 100 people? Um, and then, you know, in the Steve Allen show, in the second part of it, as I've got it on as two different 10-minute 10, 10 um, excerpts. He actually uh, asks Steve Allen about a bill that's in his pocket, Steve, in a trick that Steve Allen's about to try and play on him. He reaches in and grabs the money and identifies it as a 10-pound note from England. So there's stuff like that. And, um, you know, the people that are responding, you can tell they're sincere in their responses. So it's a good representation. But back then, you know, and then they had the mic hanging down. So, I mean, there was no technology like today either. Right. So anyone who could like allege, oh, he had an earpiece or whatever, you know, you just didn't have that kind of stuff. And, you know, I grew up with it. I saw his demonstration that way hundreds of times. And I've received emails from people from around the world, probably 20 or more of them with fascinating stories. And I'm working on another book now to share my own experiences as a child, but also, you know, the people, what they've shared with me over the years that are just mind-blowing. And we can get into some of those if you'd like to at some point. Um, yeah, that would be interesting. I'll let you lead with wherever you want to go now. <laughs> oh, well, you know, at this point, I mean, you, you grew up with someone who had these profound abilities. <clears throat> Is this the impetus that brought you to doing something in the paranormal field? Or was there some other impetus? Did that just sort of give you the the foundation and something else happened that brought you into that well, arena. It was the passing of my youngest son, really, because I was totally focused on the business world and my career and, and all this kind of superficial stuff that you can get sucked into and kind of forget the more important things. Sure. You know, um, and by paranormal, I, 
I don't really know that it's paranormal. I think it's normal. And it's just our definition of what's normal is the problem. Yeah. Um, I think it's an, innate, it's an innate ability that we all have, but just to a varying degree. My dad just had a lot of it and it was fully developed. Um, I know I have some. I've had it manifest in a number of ways over time. But, you know, and my dad, you know, you may not know this, but aside from the psychic demonstration, he was a medium, too. So he, he could bring through spirits of deceased people with accurate information. In fact, sometimes, even in a nightclub setting, which was kind of rare, and he had his own church, too. But I, in the church, you'd see it more. But in a nightclub, once in a while, you'd see him giving somebody a message, and then all of a sudden, he'd feel a personality pop through, and then he'd share a name of that person, who they were, the relationship, like it's John, such and such, it's an uncle, he looks like this, and he wants to talk about ABC, just as specific as he did with the other kinds of messages. And that's the thing that I remembered when I was younger. It's like, wow, you know, there really is more. It's not just, you know, religion telling me to believe this with blind faith. I see evidence right here that in whatever form we take after we leave this world, we still exist. And those that stuck in my mind. And the day that my son passed and I was heartbroken, I remembered that, you know. And in fact, by then, like I said, my father had already been gone. But I had an uncle in Tucson who had similar abilities. His name Robert Ireland. He's since passed, too. But at that time, he was still here on the earth. And I reached out to him um, within you know hours of my son's passing. And he said, let me know if I can do anything for you. And I said, well, if you get any kind of message that you can share, um, just to confirm his well-being, I'd really appreciate it. It was a couple of days later, I was in the mortuary making arrangements. And my uncle and I connected by cell phone. And he said, hey, Mark, I've got something to share with you. He says, you know, I tried to meditate last night, but I couldn't get anything. But this morning I was doing my morning meditation and your dad came to me and he he looked just like he always had. And he spoke to me just like he always had in the past. He wanted to let you know that he, he was there when Brandon crossed over and he helped him adjust. Brandon was a little confused at first, not understanding what was happening, but your dad helped him. He said, you know, Brandon wanted you to know that you're the best parents he ever could have had, which is all the kind of thing we like to hear. But additionally, he he said, um, your dad tells me that Brandon's death was caused by a lack of oxygen in his bloodstream that caused his heart to fail. And this is two days before I got the autopsy results. We didn't know what had happened. We just knew that he collapsed on the side of a mountain. He was with some buddies and they couldn't revive him. So two days later, the autopsy physician calls me and says, um, yes, Mr. Ireland, um, your son had a severe asthma attack that caused his heart, his uh, blood oxygen levels to drop, which led to cardiac arrest. And that was the cause of death. That's exactly what my uncle told me two days before. Wow. So that was kind of the first step in me re-engaging in this field, but going specifically down the path of not just psychic phenomena for insights, which is great, but you know, I want I was interested in the mediumship part, near-death experiences, and all the kind of phenomena that point to the existence of the soul um, beyond just physical existence, and not that the brain generates consciousness, but rather it's a filter of consciousness. Because consciousness is primary. And the course of this, you know, after getting engaged, uh, I've met so many people, researchers, top mediums and everything. And it's just amazing the turns my life have taken. Um, I think it was the next month after Brandon passed, February of 
2004, I was watching the news affiliate in Phoenix, Channel 12, mm-hmm. and they had an excerpt on about um, a program being done by Dr. Gary Schwartz at the University of Arizona, yep. uh, testing mediums under single-blind conditions. And in that particular excerpt, they showed a medium who at that time was working in that lab, Allison Dubois, before her name got big because of the network show medium that came later. Right. Um, but Allison was featured in that, and it showed her giving statements in a blind fashion to people. She couldn't see, but she was having to read for. And afterward, they interviewed the people to validate you know, what was said. And it, it was really specific stuff, and it was all on target. So I thought, wow, I'm really impressed with this Allison Dubois, and I'd really love to be part of that lab or get involved in that lab. Little did I know both things were going to happen, and one of them pretty quickly. The very next day, I get a call from a man named Jerry Consley, who was friends with my father. Jerry was in the oil business, lived in Dallas, Texas. Calls me out of the blue the following day after I'd seen that that excerpt. He says, hey, Mark, I know you've been through it. I know someone who might be able to help you. Her name is Allison Dubois, and here's a phone number you can call to get a reading from her. Wow. So, okay, I think my dad's trying to help me out here. (laughs) And then it was within the year that I was... um, I was working on my book, and I had an editor reach out to the lab, and lo and behold, in um, the the following year, in early 2005, I was invited to serve as a test sitter uh, at that lab, and it was actually featured for Discovery Channel, so there's a clip on my site with that. It's not that long, like two and a half, three minutes long, but I was given a blinded reading by uh, Lori Campbell, single blind reading by Lori Campbell, who's an excellent medium. And that's uh, kind of how that all started for me. Um, you know, the other thing I did in the very early part, you know, probably around the time my uncle gave me the message, I think even a day or two before that, I wanted a direct kind of connection. So I I actually went to a walk-in closet. I went in there, turned the light off, and tried to meditate. And I'm not a great meditator, but I was able to calm my mind and just um, get it clear and within a reasonable period of time, I saw an image of my son's face kind of scroll across like the inside of my forehead as though I was looking through my mind's eye. I saw him smiling, so I felt like joy and peace with him. And immediately after that, I saw a cross with an oval loop at the top. And I'd seen those, but I didn't really know what they were. So I had to research that. So it's not telling me something I already know. It's telling me something I have to go investigate. So I go Google it. I find out, well, that's an ankh. It's the oldest cross of human history, and the lower portion symbolizes physical life, and that oval loop symbolizes eternal life. So in a symbolic way, I was given a message that my son was happy, and he was now in eternal life. And it wasn't, and it was something I had to go dig up, which helped satisfy the skeptical part of me or the more analytical part of me. Um, so these are some of the early things that kind of triggered that interest and got me back into my dad's field. Do you know if Alison Dubois is still around? I haven't heard anything from her in a long time. Yeah, she's she she lives in the Valley. She's, um, you know, I think the thing is, once the show Medium went off the air, there was a lot of hyper, you know, that was attached to her name because of that show, and it's sure. been off for a while. So it's probably, you just don't hear about it that much. But she does have a huge following. I know she does events around the country, and she'll draw two, 300 people to an event, sometimes more. Um, I became friends with her husband, Joe, too, so um, we'd get together. I'm not living in, in Arizona right now, at least not full-time, 
I still have a place there where I can go, and I'd like to go more this time of year. <laughs> but I kind of followed my son and his wife because we have two grandchildren now up in the Pacific Northwest. But she is still around, and she's still doing her thing, and she's a very gifted medium. She's really good. Well, that's exciting. I never met her, but I have heard of her, like so many others have. Um, <clears throat> well, that's that's pretty interesting, you know. It, that whole thing, when you have someone that you love, when they pass, you know, it, it, I don't know, it just, it just leaves you feeling, you know, empty and wanting and, you know, it's not easy, not at all. And I'm so sorry for your loss. Well, thank you. I mean, no matter what you believe, I think the thing is, even if you have total faith that that person still exists and there is more after this, you still miss that connection, that sense of connection. And that's like a lot of people will ask, well, were you trying to prove something? And I'd say, not so much, really. It was more, I wanted that sense of connection and I got that. But I got it in a variety of ways, too. Yeah, sounds like it. But someone had told me, uh, another intuitive, two weeks after Brandon passed, that within six months that we that I would see him at the side of the bed. Now, she was off by a hair because this did happen with us six months, but it was my wife that saw him, and it was at the foot of the bed. We had gone on a, a, a seven-day cruise. We were going to take Brandon for his high school graduation and his older brother, Stephen. But since Brandon wasn't physically there, we took his best friend, a kid named Stu, on the cruise with us. The day that we got back, my wife went into our bedroom, sat at the little bench at the foot of our bed, and while she was sitting there, she felt him and saw through her, her peripheral vision as a shadow figure that he was there. And um, so that came to pass. But what made that even more compelling, and I've got this in my first book, um, the very next day we got a call from a, a man named James Linton. Now, before we left for the cruise, we'd loaned James Brandon's bass guitar because Brandon was a bassist. James is a guitar player, singer, and song composer, and he had his own in-home studio. And he, he said, hey, I'm working on these songs. Can I borrow the bass guitar? Because I don't have a bass. So we said, sure, you can borrow it. And the ironic part is James, the way we met him was he was actually on the mountain the day my son passed. And he had tried to get involved to help him, but he was too late when he got there. And that was very frustrating for James because he's like saying, God, why don't you let me help? Why am I here if I can't help? You know, that was just his frustration with it. But he did help. He just didn't know how he was going to help. It was in a different way. So here it is the day after my wife's experience. James calls her and says, Susie, I have something to tell you, but I don't know how to tell you. And she thought he was going to say, well, the guitar got or the bass was broken or something like that. But he said, well, I was working on this new song. And while I was in the studio, I kept seeing, feeling another presence in the studio with me. And I saw a shadow figure out of my peripheral vision. And I saw flashes of white light, and I thought, I'm just hallucinating. So he said he went and got water, he took a shower, he got something to eat. But each time he came back, it felt stronger and stronger. And then he then he kind of recognized, this must be Brandon. He says, okay, Brandon, what do you want? And at that point, he felt guided to change this song in different ways, musically, but also lyrically. And these lyrics came out of him that, essentially were channeled from my son is what he felt. And it's called the other side. Um, and so we got to hear it, you know, uh, 
a bit later, and it's phenomenal. It's such a healing song too. Um, but it, you know, that that was the confirmation of my wife's experience. If that wasn't enough, here's someone who had a, a duplicate experience the next day um, that knew nothing of her experience. Wow, isn't that just that's just amazing? It really is. <clears throat> I've had a few experiences like that myself. I'm, I'm sure, you know, maybe some folks watching this might have had something go on, too. You know, I, I don't know what you know about me. My thing, there one since, you know, really meeting your dad and forward um, has been as a healer. Uh but the the gifts and and things that go along with that are they're quite varied. I mean, like you were saying, your dad mediumship, um, you know, the healing thing, sure. But I've had some very unique situations where folks on either side have presented themselves. Um, <laughs> I know full well once you uh, pass over, it's not done. I fell out of an airplane hangar. This was after meeting your dad, and um. I was gone for a while, and uh, they didn't resuscitate me. I just jumped back in and started breathing on my own. But I saw a lot on the other side. I saw so much. Um, so I know there's a lot more going on than just, you know, close your eyes and it goes black and you just go to sleep. That's not how it works. Not at all. Um Let me just look through a couple things I had mind of asking you about to see what we've covered. Um, well, let's jump towards the books. Um, I mean, you've written these books. You, you kind of touched on what uh, your first book was about. Uh, let's just bring that book cover up so folks can get a, a visual on it. Soul Shift, is that right? Yeah, so this was the first book. And really, I actually started writing just days after my son Brandon passed. And initially, what I was had intended to write was the biography on my father. So I got far fairly far along, but as kind of an introduction to my father, I was starting to write about my story and, and what had happened with Brandon as kind of a precursor to his biography. And I was introduced to a uh, editor in New York, and she read it and looked at it and said, hey, Mark, you know what? You know, you can write your dad's biography anytime, but I think you have your own story to tell. And I think that's the real powerful story for you to get into right now. So that's what I did. And that's how that book started. And it began with some of the things I shared with you that were like the early stages, like how I've been living um, after Brandon's passing, the initial things that kind of catapulted me back into my dad's field some of the things that I'd uncovered from archives of materials he'd left behind, including training materials and books that were unpublished. Uh, um, and then, you know, that kind of led me into meeting some top mediums. And then I did kind of my own research independent of any labs to get readings from some top mediums with them knowing little to nothing about me in advance. And then sharing the results of that with the reader and then kind of going over my assessment of all of it at the end and my conclusions. So it's it's a book of self-exploration and a book of really my journey after my son passed. So anyone who's been through that might be able to relate 
and maybe glean some things from it that will be very helpful to them. I've had people uh, from around the world write to me and say, some of them even said it saved their life just because it gave them hope. Um, and we live in a world that doesn't give people a lot of hope, unfortunately, because the mainstream has adopted this uh, religion of secular materialism. <laughs> and it's not fact, although people think it is. And it leads you to despair because it's a nihilistic view of life and this world as being meaningless and the universe as being chaotic. So um, that book is one that, you know, again, it's my journey after the passing of my son. And it's one that I think gives a, it will give people hope. Um, and um, they might find interesting as kind of a first step, especially if they want to learn more about mediumship or have a medium reading. I would recommend reading that book or something like it in advance so you're prepared and you really know how to go into um, a session. And even more importantly, that you're picking somebody who's legitimate and has the ability because there are some frauds out there. You know, there are people that just want to take your money. And there are other self-deluded people, too, who think they have a lot more ability than they have. So um, that's another resource that I've been worked on for eight years now. I've actually put together a certification program and I blind test mediums on five different readings with people they don't know and then grade those results statistically um, to be able to either certify or not certify someone. And that's done totally out of my pocket, my time, my expense, and I've never charged a dime for any of that. I just want to have a resource there for people they can trust. Um, that kind of branches off my book a little bit, but that's kind of where it led. No, but I think that's vastly interesting. Have you run across anyone that you would qualify as being profoundly gifted? Yeah, I, I would say actually from what I've personally witnessed, there are several. But the, the top person in my book right now from what I've witnessed personally and the researchers I know is a man named Gordon Smith in Scotland. He actually came to our conference and did a gallery reading for a full audience. But the level of specificity that he gives and the connection he makes is just at the highest level. I've not seen people like my dad, but he's probably one of the closest in terms of that aspect that I have seen. And there are some others that are phenomenal, too. You know, um, a lot of them. Now, Gordon's unique in that in the U.K. and he he came up through the spiritualist ranks and their whole philosophy is you don't charge people for a reading. You, you know, it's a gift. And he he made his living as a barber. Um, but in the States, it's a little bit different. Um, a lot of people will have like a job. I know a great medium in Scottsdale or Carefree who she's probably one of the top five, you know, in the world. As far as the people I know, and I know a lot of them. Um, and she ha she left a career, you know, she worked in a corporate world, an HR job that paid very well. But for her to dive into this, she had to replace that income. So there are folks that make, you know, will charge more money and the rates vary widely. But in her case, it's like, well, I either can do this and charge for it or not do it and stay in the corporate world, and not really serve my purpose the way I'm supposed to. So I don't blame anyone for charging or not charging, whatever. You have to do what you feel is right. But at the end of the day, if you bring people healing, that's great. This medium is Suzanne Wilson. She's excellent. She lives in Carefree or Cave Creek area. Uh, in fact, she goes by the title The Carefree Medium. And there are a number of others that are really exceptional. Mark Anthony's very good. He's in Florida. 
Um, I'm going to leave somebody out. I know it, but there's there's so many too that are not big names, and that's really why I started my certified medium site is because a lot of the celebrity mediums that I knew didn't have a lot of availability. You know, they were so popular. They're booked out a year or two years. Well, heck, somebody might be, you know, hurting and needs help now. Um, and so I thought, well, there must be more undiscovered talent out there where people have availability and maybe they don't charge as much. And lo and behold, here we are eight and a half years later, and I have 34 people on my website that have been through this. And some of them would rival some of those top mediums too. Um, you know, but they're all, they've all passed statistically what is required. Um, so yeah, there's a number of really good mediums out there. Um, and you know, that's my services to provide that list for the average person. But I recommend other people that aren't on the list too, um, that, you know, again, they already had a big following and didn't really need to go through that process. But, um, I, I support a lot of those folks too. Yeah, I've I've met quite a few, you know, in the years. Um, well, I mean, being here since 1980, <clears throat> but the folks that I knew, <laughs> they've they're not with us anymore. So I don't really have, um, you know, the connections to you know folks now. But I always found it exceedingly fascinating. Uh, you know, doing what I do, there there are people who have developed their specific talents. And I just have such respect for that. You know, you talk about the gal that had to leave the corporate world. I had to leave, um, well, I, what, I didn't have to, but I chose to walk out of a marriage where I was being made fun of because of what I know and what I do. And uh, moving away from a business that I'd worked on for 20 some odd years to build up just left it all behind to do this and it's it's turned into you know quite a thing i've been all over the world helping folks so i understand this gal's conundrum when you're at that edge it's like you're standing on the precipice and to step off of it requires a great deal of faith because you don't have any confidence you might know you're good, but you don't have any confidence that you're actually going to land intact. And that's a real scary thing. I, I've run into some people. There's a fellow in, um, I've forgotten, Indiana or Illinois. This guy was spooky. He could just put his hand over something um, and numbers would appear on the paper. And not that he was thinking about it. These numbers would be um, uh, like, what's your phone number? So he put his hand and there's your phone number. Uh, just some really strange stuff. I don't even know what to say about this fellow. I don't even remember his name now. This is back quite a number of years ago while I was in New York. Um, Dr. Richard uh, Ireland was always in the back of my mind as being, you know, the pinnacle. That's that's the high point. So I've never met anyone at that point until in New York, I met another person who was at that same potential. And his oh, name, wow. yeah, in, in his own field, in his own way. Okay. But this would be Ingo Swan. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Ingo and Kathy and I, we became great friends for years. Uh, absolutely spectacular abilities. 
and he's an artist too. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, he had all of his art down in the basement of this multi-story building that he owned. Um, and they're not small. These things are gigantic. Some of them like three panels go across 15 feet and eight feet high. Um, and then I was introduced to a fellow named Safwat Alamin. I think your dad would have liked this guy a lot. Safwat was the kind of person that was doing some of the strangest things you've ever heard of. He would take three steps and vanish. And then a few minutes later, he'd be in the room with you again, but he'd be holding a newspaper from Cairo. He just jumped to Cairo and then jumped back. Um, or he'd be on a plane and he got tired of riding on the plane. So he would just show up in the airport, call for his ride. His luggage would show up a little later, of course. I mean, he put a quarter over my eye when we were there with Ingo Swan. And he just said, here, you touched it and pushed a little bit. It wasn't hurting at all. And he pulled his finger off and a quarter had folded around his finger and he pulled it off, gave it to me. I've got it over here somewhere in a drawer. Absolutely amazing. So I've been looking for people like that too, you know, just for no other reason, except I'm curious. There's got to be folks well, out Ingo there. Ingo was really well known, too, for his work with the uh, Stargate project for the U.S. government for yeah. remote viewing. Yeah. And he, he did some phenomenal work, from my understanding, in terms of helping the U.S., you know, with basically it's espionage, you know, using that ability to to try and identify things that were a threat to the to the country at the time. Um, I'd actually received a call from a man named Glenn Wheaton, who ran or runs the Hawaiian Remote Viewers Guild. And he, I'd never heard this from my dad or anyone else, but he claims that he, uh, they had hired my dad to do some projects as well uh, during that era. And that they first, he and I guess his compatriots who were part of the army had gone to see my dad in Honolulu and where he was demonstrating at the time. And thought, well, maybe it's just a show for entertainment's sake. But then they invited him to come back to their place for testing, and he agreed to go. And from his description, they actually put a paste over my dad's eyes, like a plaster kind of thing, where if my dad had cheated in any way, it would have cracked and they would have known. And and it didn't. And then they ran him through a variety of tests. And at the end of the day, determined pretty quickly, like, this guy's for real, and he's off the charts. And um, and then they sought to learn how he does what he did. And to the best of his ability, he shared that with them. And then they've since created protocols around that to train people to do remote viewing. Um, again, my dad never told me any of this. I've heard it from Glenn and a man named Dick Allegri, uh, Algeyer, I'm sorry, Dick Algeyer, um, both in Honolulu. Um, but yeah, that whole thing is kind of interesting too. And Maybe my dad had to keep it a secret. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's tied to classified documents. Uh, but well, Glenn claims that my dad had identified the location of some POWs in Laos and gave them dog tag numbers for these guys. Wow! So if that's true, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's that is remarkable. I don't have any doubts that your dad 
could do that <laughs> after what I saw. Holy yeah. mackerel. You know, I guess it's another form of remote viewing or maybe it's just a, a different facet. It's just clairvoyance. Clairvoyance is what it is. You know, we assign names to different things. And even within the whole field of psychic phenomena, we have words and names for telepathy, clairvoyance, psychometry, psychokinesis, blah, 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 blah. But it's it's all kind of one one greater thing. And we create the dividing lines through our terminology, it seems. Yeah, um, right. But it's, I think it's all kind of from, come from one source or one energy. And we, um, and some people are better at some aspects than others. Like my uncle once told me, he says, your dad wasn't a great healer, but he was a great psychic and great medium. And he says, I was always a better healer, but he was, he was better at the mediumship. And it's just like, we all have our own gifts, you know? Um, and it's, what's important is we embrace the gifts we have and we use those to help, help the world and help other people. Absolutely. Well, and, and you're doing your part. You know, you've already mentioned that. This uh, this organization, what's the name of the organization again? Uh, Helping Parents Heal. Okay. And if anyone listening has had a child pass and you're looking for support, uh, the website for that organization, well, there's a link to it on my site, but it, you could go directly to them at helpingparentsheal.org. Okay, good. We'll make sure people know about this. Yeah. Yeah, and it isn't always just parents who need the healing. It, right. It could be... No, you're right. It's everybody. Mm -hmm. Our organization had to focus in a specific direction, but I'm sure there are other organizations that are, you know, there to help other folks in a broader way. But we do have a subsidiary group within our group called Helping Siblings Heal. So kids who have had a, a their sibling pass, you know, mm -hmm. um, can go there as well. But... Um, yeah, we focus on the parents because that's who we are, and that's what you know, really the value we can bring to that group of folks because we've been through it, and they can relate to us, and we can relate to them. Well, you're certainly doing your part to bring good to the world, and I certainly respect that and commend you for it. The Thank um, you. I try. <laughs> your father's book, Your Psychic Potential, how does that fit into all this? So this is kind of interesting. Let's go back to that Allison Dubois reading that I had in sure. late two, or August of 2004. Two weeks before that, a gentleman gave me a box full of uh, typed eight and a half by 11 pages. Um, and it said, Your Psychic Potential Guide to Psychic Development by Dr. Richard Ireland, 1973. Wow. And I'm like, well, where did you get this? And he says, well... You were out of state at the time, and um, your dad was going to pass soon, so he asked me to hold it for safekeeping. I said, well, you've had it for 12 years. Why are you giving this to me now? He says, I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to. Two weeks later, I have the reading with Alison Dubois. The first thing she says is, I have your father here, and he's showing me a book, but I feel it's his book, and he's handing it to you for you to take forward. Does that make sense to you? And I'm like... Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so that's how I got the book. And then um, a short time later after Soul Shift was published, I went to my publisher with that book, my dad's book, and they agreed to publish that, and that came out in 2011. And essentially the way that book was created was back in the late 60s and early 70s, my father was doing ESP workshops, he called them, 
And he was training people who were interested how to develop their own intuition, psychic abilities, and so forth. And he had brought along a friend, a ghostwriter named Fred Han, who I know. Fred's since passed. But Fred was there to observe, take notes, and basically take all this information my dad had and create it into a book form. And that's how that book came together. It's basically all my dad's instruction materials on developing your abilities. Um, and, it's, you know, now it's a published work. Even though he didn't get it done, I was able to, fortunately, get it published on his behalf, you know, after he was on the other side. And the book, what, what the contents of the book, what is it about? It's all about psychic development. It's basically a training manual for people who want to develop their psychic abilities. Okay. I, I know you mentioned that. I just want to make sure I was clear on it. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. huh, I, I've not seen this book, but I think it's time to get it. Folks, yeah. you need to get it. Where, where are these being sold at anyway? Well, initially, when these first came out, they were at Barnes & Noble and Borders, which doesn't exist anymore, and right. Amazon. Now, you know, because they've been out for a while, it's pretty much, they're not going to be in, they might be on the shelves of some smaller bookstores or independent spiritual-type bookstores, but Amazon's the easiest place to get it. Either Amazon or uh, the publisher site is North Atlantic Books. Um but just go to Amazon. You could, or if you go to my website, I've got links to all these books. And again, that's markirelandauthor.com. You can find links, and I've got all the retailer links too. So if you wanted to buy from Barnes and Noble, you can. It might come online, or it might be shipped to you, or shipped to your store, and then you can go get it, okay. uh, or you can get it from Amazon. And then I've got links to other countries. So if you have people who listen to this that are in other countries. Now, it's available in places like South Africa and England and um, uh, Australia and New Zealand so and in different European countries. So uh, the books are available in a variety of places. But if you go to my site, there's links to all of those. All right. Fascinating stuff, folks. Uh, I will have a link to Mark's website. It'll be a lot easier than putting a whole bunch of links on there. Just go to Mark's website and then just... Um, Find what you yeah, want. you'll find everything there. There's links to everything else we talked about. So you've got another book, and this one's coming out later this year. Is that is that right? Yeah, so I actually had a second book of my own. It was called Messages from the Afterlife. Um, it's gone out of print, but I've got, actually, this is something that just kind of came out of blue that was awesome, but there's a much larger, bigger, more successful publisher on the East Coast called Inner Traditions, Bear is one of their imprints. Um, they are going to republish that book, but first we're doing an edit, update, and expansion of it. So it's coming out as uh, under the title "The Persistence of the Soul," um, and that's a title I came up with that they actually agreed to, which was wonderful because <laughs> I'm not used to that. In the past, they've always wanted to change my titles, but uh, they're going to run with that title, and I love the cover they came up with for that one. Um, and this one really, it's more of a scholarly book. So it still has the personal stories of my experiences in there, but it also has the background information and the science supporting these things. So, I, you know, some people I find aren't interested in the science. They just want the stories. Other people are more interested in the science and they don't care so much about the anecdotal stories. This gives you both. So it's kind of unique in that it kind of goes back and forth, but I give you the personal experiences, but I also give you the science backing it. Um, 
that's been conducted for a long, long time since really the the origins of the uh, Society for Psychical Research in London. And uh, and then after that, you had like Duke University, uh, J.P. Ryan did a lot of ESP testing from the early 30s to 1972, I think it was. Um, so you get kind of that mix. I'd say the unique aspects of that book, um, I've got one is that I've got a chapter on religion and history and these types of abilities and how it's viewed in the various religious traditions from Christianity, which is prompt, you know, predominant in the United States to Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism. So really look at it through all those lenses and then kind of where my conclusions come. So I think it's got, you know, some of these things get a bad rap from Christian churches, but the reality is if somebody knows their scripture and digs a little bit deeper instead of just taking what the pastor says or what other people think, uh, you'll find that these kinds of abilities are all, all throughout scripture, and it's really the same stuff. You've got 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Apostle Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Those, the list that he provides are all these things, you know, they're the same things. And all these examples of the miracles of Jesus, many of these are the same. You know, he he sees two deceased people, Moses and Elijah. It's reported by his disciples. That's mediumship. You know, he's right. talking to dead people, you know. And and there's so I, I get into that from uh, different perspectives. In the Eastern traditions, it's more like a matter of fact, oh, yeah, psychic phenomena exists. You know, don't pay too much attention to it. It's really more about your spiritual evolution and growth. Uh, don't, you know, get overly in love with that. But yeah, that's that's a real thing. Um, so I have a chapter on that. And um, and really what I seek to do there is educate people who maybe are afraid or they've been told this is bad, stay away from this stuff. Or or maybe they're just curious how their religion meshes with the reality of, of, these, uh, of these abilities. I've got a chapter on an experiment I did with my sister before she passed where um, I asked her to write a secret message, put it in an envelope where no one could see it, and then I would hold it. And then after she passed, asked her to try her best, if she could remember to do this, to go to some medium and share what she had written on the paper before we open it. So that's kind of a long, winding journey and a pretty interesting chapter. I think people I will be kind of on the edge of their seat when they read that one. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a comment. Subscriptions and your comments cost nothing, but it really helps us out a lot. To hear the entire interview you were just listening to and many, many other amazing interviews within our archives, please visit jerrywillshow.com and become a member. Your membership supports our ongoing broadcasts. That's jerrywillshow.com. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this program.